This paid program may not represent the views of Hubbard Broadcasting Incorporated or Federal News Radio. Statements and opinions of this broadcast are solely those of individual contributors or advertisers as indicated. Federal News Radio does not take responsibility for those statements or opinions and accepts no responsibility or liability for any inaccuracy, errors, or omissions reported during this program. Welcome to the Business of Government Hour, a conversation about management with a government executive who is changing the way government does business. The Business of Government Hour is produced by the IBM Center for the Business of Government, which was created in 1998 to encourage discussion and research into new approaches to improving government effectiveness. You can find out more about the center by visiting us on the web at businessofgovernment.org. And now, the Business of Government Hour. Welcome to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host and leadership fellow at the IBM Center for the Business of Government. Numerous recent studies predict that data from different sectors of the economy, including the rapidly growing Internet of Things, could generate trillions of dollars in benefits to the United States alone. The U.S. federal government has made data a strategic priority and a cross-agency priority goal. This involves expanding broad access to that data that can strengthen economic growth, inform innovation, enhance governance, and expand opportunity. The U.S. Department of Commerce's National Technical Information Service, NTIS, promotes U.S. innovation and economic growth by providing information and data services to the public, industry, and other federal agencies. As such, it has positioned itself as a strategic asset for federal agencies delivering government data services through agile partnerships with the private sector to rapidly execute innovative projects. How is NTIS helping to advance federal data priorities? How does it work with the private sector to develop new and improve data products and services? And what does NTIS do to deliver value to federal agencies? We'll explore these questions and so much more with our very special guest, Avi Bender, director of NTIS. Avi, welcome back to the show. It's great to have you. Nice to see you again, Michael. So, Avi, would you provide us with an overview of the mission and history of the U.S. Department of Commerce's National Technical Information Service, NTIS? How has its mission evolved to date? Well, first of all, we go back to 1945 under the uh, Truman administration. People don't know about that. It's pretty amazing. Under that time, it was called the um, Publication uh, Board, and the responsibilities were pretty much the same as what they are now, and that was to be a clearinghouse for engineering, scientific, and business information uh, for the government, for all the agencies in the, in the United States. Now, the, the mission, of course, has changed over the years with the onset of the Internet. Uh, we're also responsible for managing the limited access uh, death master file for the Social Security Administration. Um, managing a database for uh, the Drug Enforcement Agency on opioid substances and controlled substances. And we continue to evolve uh, these types, what I would call subscription services. But in the, in the last couple of years, there have been a tremendous um, you know, change in the marketplace with respect to big data. And at that point in time, um, commerce changed our mission in 2016 uh, to focus on big data and specifically to deliver greater value and insights to federal agencies on all those data to help them with driving economic growth and also to become uh, much more um, effective and efficient in how they run their operations. 
So that's really been our new mission starting since 2016. Uh, we're off and running, and uh, lots of good things are happening. So, you know, it's such an important mission uh, that seems to be shifting in order to capture the trends that are happening today. How is NTIS organized? What's the size and scale of its operation? And more importantly, uh, with such a unique mission, what kind of experts do you have on staff? We're about a 70-person organization. Most of the skills are centered around uh, uh, the customer. So we have project managers, we have data scientists, we have program developers who find new opportunities. Uh, those are sort of the key skills. But the, the, most of the skills really come from our joint venture partners, the partners that the private sector organizations that we partner with. That's really key to understand in our, in our business model. So, like any organization, we're small, entrepreneurial. Mm -hmm. And what's unique, we have no funding. We have no appropriated funding. It's a fee-for-service, and we have a revolving fund. um, And we essentially have to um, generate revenue, if you will, to cover the costs. I'd like to transition to your specific role. Would you tell us more about your duties and responsibilities as the director of NTIS, and how does it support the overall mission? of the department. Right. So I was hired in uh, 2016 from the uh, U.S. Census Bureau. My role is really to establish uh, the overall strategy um, and the execution of that strategy to really move us into this digital uh, data age in order to be able to deliver the valuable services that agencies need to solve mission-critical data problems. Um, That's sort of my role. It fits very well within the Department of Commerce because Commerce as an agency uh, for, for a long time has really been a big data organization with the likes of the Census Bureau, USPTO, NOAA. Um, so um, our um, mission fits really very nicely within that, um, specifically because we're enable, an enabler uh, from a business perspective, not only to the Department of Commerce, but actually across uh, other, other federal agencies. And again, we do all of this with the partners that we have in place. So, you know, regarding your duties and responsibilities, what would you say are your top management challenges and how have you sought to address those challenges? I think the biggest issue that I face is aligning strategy with execution. We have a good strategy uh, of how to leverage this authority that we have uh, to deliver valuable data services to federal agencies in conjunctions with our private sector partners. But in order to do that, you have to establish an operating model um, that is somewhat unique from anything that's been done before, and we may examine that a little bit later in our conversation. We, a relentless focus and execution. Uh, the other area is that um, we need to hire uh, some some key people. Now, although we do not, we're not a professional services model per se, we don't need to hire lots of people, but we do need to have a few individuals with a good mix of skills, as I mentioned, in project management, program development, data science. They have to be individuals with, with a passion, and they have to be individuals who are excited about not just doing a job, uh, but delivering on a higher authority in a sort of a bigger mission. So that's an area that we continue to uh, to work on. You know, um, what has surprised you most since coming to your current role from census or your time in the private sector? What surprised you so much? I think the Census Bureau, the private sector, uh, was just uh, ideal for uh, positioning me for this particular uh, role uh, because it's it's very much um, a, a set of skills that have come together that are both uh, business, technical, uh, communication skills, um, and customer relationship management. But I think what, what specifically what has surprised me about the agencies, and I speak to many agencies every week, and there's one thing that I've noticed that they all have in common. With respect to data now, they all have pretty much the same underlying issues. They are struggling with their ability to collect data, 
to process the data, to analyze the data, to disseminate the data. Uh, and the underlying technical design pattern is the same. But what is different is what I would call the use case. Mm-hmm. And the use case is the mission, right? Mm-hmm. An important distinction. Yeah, they, they are unique in what they do. Mm-hmm. The underlying technical capabilities that they require are pretty much the same. But the way they extrapolate and explain and create context for what they do is through their mission. And I view their, their mission from a technical perspective as a use case. You know, um, we learned a little bit. We learned about the mission of NTIS. We learned about uh, how it's organized, your, your, your role in it, some of the challenges and surprises you've had. And I'd like to learn more about you. Could you give us a little bit of an overview of your career path? I have a couple of degrees, and, and I'm not sure if any of them are related to what, what I'm doing. It's, I started out with a Bachelor of Science in Biology, I then I uh, have a Master's in Oceanography, and then I did another Master's in Information Systems. Uh, back in those days, it was just difficult getting uh, the type of work that I was hoping to achieve in the government. Make a long story short, in the uh, late 70s, I began my career as a um, local contractor for federal agencies. Uh, and interestingly enough, one of the first reports that I produced uh, found its way to this National Technical Research Library that we manage at NTIS. Mm-hmm. Since that time, I um, I then joined the uh, the federal government um, in the early in the mid 1980s with the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. That to me was a tremendous move. It was a pivotal moment in my career in delivering public service and also in innovating. Uh, for the first time, I was able to work on what was then digital media type technologies. And I helped create back in the mid-1980s what was to become the world's first full-text search and image retrieval system. Now, these days, it's not a big deal. We've got Google and so forth. But at that time, it was a big deal, and it was used in litigation support. I then, after uh, several years, left the government and began to do several startups in the commercial arena. And I worked um, at that time. I parlayed some of this expertise that I acquired in digital media um, to work for um, some of the big six consulting firms, uh, multinational organizations, with a focus on consultative services in digital media, spent a stint in the media entertainment industry in Hollywood, of all things. And then after that, um, decided to do a, um, a startup. In, um, at the time, it was called Middleware Technologies, the ability to uh, connect uh, disparate applications and data sets actually a precursor to many of the issues that we have today in uh, big data. During the dot-com collapse, I um, was basically consulting uh, for a couple of years on my own and then had an uh, interesting offer from uh, the Internal Revenue Service of all places to become the director for enterprise architecture. It was a four-year term. And what was really needed at the Internal Revenue Services at the time was expertise in, in service-oriented architecture, middleware technologies, but more importantly, how to apply uh, those technologies to solve mission-critical problems. I spent, it was a four-year term appointment. From there, I went to become the first uh, chief technology officer at the U.S. Census Bureau. Working for the Census Bureau was um, probably one of the most rewarding parts of my career. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's fun to go to work when you're working with a great, a great bunch of people mm-hmm. that are committed to a mission. Next, the Census Bureau was involved in uh, some of the most interesting um, data collection and data analytics um, anywhere in the federal government because they clearly collect data to inform 
um, the, you know, the nation, people, and economy on, on various trends. I learned a lot there. And having worked for an organization that has a constitutional mandate to do this uh, survey every 10 years uh, was also uh, very inspiring. Part of my career path, and maybe I'm kind of rambling on a little bit, but uh, was to help develop an innovation lab at the, at the uh, Census Bureau. That innovation facility, which still exists today, was really fundamental to helping drive innovation within the Bureau. It was also used, frankly, as a poster child by many other agencies who developed similar capabilities. And, and that's where I really learned about the power of collaboration and, more importantly, the power of the conversation. Because the conversation, uh, especially conversation with a diverse group of people, could really lead you to some very interesting innovations. So from there, I then um, was appointed to NTIS to really apply many of my skills in the whole area of innovation to come up with a new business model that would really help NTIS apply its joint venture authority to help federal agencies innovate. So the challenge there was how do you take uh, an innovation model that's within an appropriated agency? Well, you're getting funding to do these things. But suddenly you're told, well, you're, not going to be, you're now going to be running an organization where you have no funding. You have to recover all costs. You have a specific mission. You have that mission by law. Good luck. Mm-hmm. Right. And it was really applying this innovation model to seek innovative ways of how to operationalize this into a model very much that I would have done in the private sector to actually not only sustain us, but actually grow value. So that's kind of uh, overall from my career path. But the common theme for me personally has always been, I'm not coming in to be an administrator. I'm not coming in to be a supervisor. I'm coming in to help lead an organization to a better place. And that's where I want to leave it. So, you know, that's a great segue into the next question I have, which is around getting insights into your leadership philosophy. Would you would you outline for me some of your key leadership principles and what makes an effective leader? Right. You know, I, I never went to any organization thinking to myself, okay, I'm going to be a leader. What is my philosophy? <laughs> I, I think I think some of that some of that you kind of hone in over time. So I I, I wanted to examine the pattern of where I've had successes. Mm-hmm. And the and the pattern has been that for both my uh, philosophy and principles, you really need to operate with a set of values uh, that include honesty and integrity, and as I mentioned before, a passion to achieve a higher purpose. That's a philosophy that I have. That is a philosophy that I, as a leader, hope to instill in the people that work for me. Um, And I believe that effective leaders need to really outline a vision. They need to inspire others to be able to take that journey with them. Uh, sometimes easier said than done. I believe that leaders need to be um, open-minded. They have to be good listeners. Um, and they have to be humble. Because you're a leader, an appointed leader within an organization, does not mean that you're all-knowing. What are NTIS's strategic priorities? We will ask its director, Avi Bender, when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. The federal government can reduce costs while improving services by adopting private sector cost reduction strategies and technologies to achieve similar benefits in government. Check out the IBM Center special report, Transforming Government Through Technology. It outlines how technology-based reforms can reduce federal costs by more than a trillion dollars over the next decade. Download Transforming Government Through Technology 
and all Center reports at businessofgovernment.org. What are U.S. General Services Administration's key strategic priorities? How is GSA making government more effective and efficient? What is GSA doing to promote smarter management, buying, and use of technology across the federal government? Join host Michael Keegan next week as he explores these questions and more with Emily Murphy, Administrator, U.S. General Services Administration. That's next week on the Business of Government Hour, the Business of Government Hour, Monday at 11 a.m. on the Federal News Network. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and my guest today is Avi Bender, Director of the National Technical Information Service, NTIS. So, Avi, um, data is a strategic priority and resource for the federal government, and leveraging data and making it work uh, for the agency is key to helping them meet their mission, and and NTIS has a real role in that. So I'd like to step back and kind of understand your strategic vision, which you kind of hinted at in the previous segment, but what are your strategic priorities, too? The um, strategic priority is actually really important because this is what drives us. To net it out... Every day when we do anything, we have to ask the basic question. Through our new mission established in 2016, are we actually helping agencies drive economic growth through data? Are we helping agencies become more effective and efficient organizations through data? Are we helping organizations, you know, leverage data to improve their supply chains to become more effective and efficient? So everything that we do really has to do around um, strategic outcomes. So our priorities are really driven by that. And our delivery model, as I mentioned, is really to help agencies achieve capacity to scale through the um, joint venture partnerships that we have that I'll describe uh, shortly. Because many organizations have priorities. uh, They have mission-critical priorities. But simply, they don't have the skills they don't have the resources. They may not have the various tools. And, and frankly, acquiring those resources and skills is very time-consuming, and time is of the essence. Great. That, you know, I was wondering, what are some of the key, I don't know, internal and external drivers and trends that have shaped and informed your strategy? Some of them have not come from my um, drinking my own Kool-Aid, so to speak. <laughs> some of them is very specific. Internal drivers. I think one of the best documents uh, to read, and this is going to sound strange, uh, but if you go through the Department of Commerce strategic plan, uh, that is an excellent document, really lays out a great strategy, and it's very business and outcome focused. So that clearly lays out what is expected from us in the coming years. Uh, I look at those as kind of the internal commerce um, type strategies. Um, In addition to that, other federal agencies have uh, similar strategies that are very much business outcome. I would say not all of them may realize that data plays a key role there. But in, in some, those are really the, uh, the internal drivers that are shaping our thinking and inform our strategy. There are also um, external drivers, I think, that we need to think about. The external dr- drivers I view as really as the marketplace drivers. And I hope I don't come across as confusing but I view the external drivers as the internal drivers of our daily lives. Interesting. What I mean by that is I, I come to, the, um, uh, to a meeting with you and we're discussing 
you know, these lofty strategic goals. <laughs> but yet when I, when I leave this meeting, I will probably pick up my cell phone. I may uh, try to get, a, I don't know, an Uber or a Lyft. I may check, um, uh, you know, maybe uh, made some purchases on e-commerce, whatever. So yet we, we're using all of these amazing technologies every single day that have made an impact in our lives. These are the external drivers that I believe should also be shaping the way we optimize business processes within the federal government. And I think I'm not preaching anything new here. I think agencies understand that, uh, but they really need a roadmap. They really need an approach. They, they know that, but they struggle with the how. So that helps inform of our, our strategy is what are the types of valuable services that we can deliver as a federal agency with this unique authority to help other agencies? You know, so would you tell us more about how your mission relates to the cross-agency priority or CAP goal of leveraging data as a strategic asset? So when the, uh, the various CAP goals uh, came out, I paid uh, lots of attention to that <laughs> because that clearly is what we need to be focused on. And then when I saw the specific uh, cap goal on data, I said, wow, this is our sweet spot. This is where we can really have an impact. We are really such an important instrument uh, for the rest of the federal government that people need to be aware of. So um, net-net, the cap goal is directly uh, aligned, and we support that goal because we are helping agencies leverage data as a strategic asset, not just with a set of desirements but actually very specific outcomes um, and delivering results. And I'll describe some of those a little bit uh, later. So again, many of the uh, guiding principles of the CAP goals uh, are very much um, in sync, and uh, we're totally in support of that for both commerce and other federal agencies. Speaking of you know the federal enterprise, whether it's your department uh, or federal agencies in general, you know, what are some of the common federal IT and data operational challenges facing agencies in these areas? And why are the current data supply chains not terribly effective? I think uh, a part of the reason that is that, so first of all, all, all agencies have very common issues mm-hmm. from a functional and a technical perspective. Okay. So the functional and the, and the technical perspective is they're having difficulties, as I mentioned before, in data collection, processing, dissemination, analytics, dissemination, and so right. So those are the, those are the common areas. What has caused that is the lack of uh, of uh, metadata standards, okay. lack of interoperability. Now let's just dive a little bit into this. Think about these uh, four or three chevrons that I've just described and visualize them. So agencies collect data. The agencies are in the data business, whether they know it or not, but they collect data, they process data, they disseminate, analyze data. Let's just look at collect. Every agency has multiple applications, multiple business processes, multiple technologies that collect data, and frankly, they do it differently. That's why you hear about the fact that we don't have metadata standards. Well, that is the beginning of the key contribution of why there are issues with data interoperability. If you do not collect data in a highly standardized way, then you will have downstream impacts. What I've just described to you are really the functional and technical issues. Those have serious implications for business outcome. So some of the challenges in the business outcomes that agencies have 
include making evidence-based decision-making, transforming business operations, dealing with fraud detection, improving use, human resource management, dealing with improper payments, improving internal controls, improving citizen services, establishing pricing equity, dealing with uh, export-imports, uh, dealing with food and drug safety, dealing with emergency preparedness. These are the business outcomes but sometimes we have a major disconnect between the business outcome we're trying to achieve and then the nitty-gritty of diving into the minutia of technologies and then talking about, should we use blockchain? Should we use AI? What problem are you trying to solve? So, you know, agencies um, need new ways to get a better handle on their data and innovation. Uh, to that end, would you tell us more about uh, NTIS's joint venture partnership? What does it do? And how does it help federal agencies innovate through data? Uh, that's really the beginning, kind of the secret sauce. Uh, we would not be able to accomplish some of the key successes that we've had without partnering with the private sector. So by law, we have an authority to enter into a joint venture partnership. And early in 2016, we had a Federal Register notice and um, solicited input from uh, multiple organizations in both commercial, private sector, uh, for-profit, not-for-profit, in very specific categories of data science and cybersecurity. Out of about uh, 80 or so applicants, we narrowed it down to 31 really world-class organizations. These are the entities that we go to market with. They're the ones that really help achieve this capacity to scale. So the NTIS Joint Venture Authority, I view that as a valuable Department of Commerce asset. It's allowing us to work with the private sector firms in ways that are not possible under the FAR, Federal Acquisition Regulation. Uh, it's founded on collaboration between government and the private sector. And the partnerships that we have are inherently uh, flexible, scalable, and powerful. Uh, and this authority allows us to innovate in the delivery of government data and data services. And I will get a little bit later on as to how we actually do this, but it's really through this authority that we're able to deliver uh, services. And uh, I would also mention that this is not a um, what I would call a typical uh, professional services model. In other words, um, there are other organizations that are able to deliver you know, data services, uh, but typically you have to hire the right people. Uh, you have to write, get the right tools. You have to have the right operating environment. Uh, and when you have mission-critical requirements out there, under the president's management um, agenda and initiatives, you have to react very quickly. And frankly, the government doesn't react quickly. There's just a lot of inertia that's built in. So this is a new operating model that allows federal agencies to achieve this capacity uh, to scale. So as a follow-up, perhaps you, you could uh, share with uh, some of the agencies, um, how this program helps them in what specific ways. Now, um, maybe some of your success stories here. And then, well, then what's, what's next for the joint partnership? So we've had uh, a number of success stories. And I'm really proud of the fact that everything has been, it has something to do with a national outcome. Okay. For example, we have worked with uh, Department of Homeland Security, uh, U.S. Citizens Immigration Services, helping them um, a couple of years ago, actually, on the E-Verify system. Um, the outcome, improved verification of employment eligibility uh, through enhanced data analytics, um, decreasing the time it takes employers to enroll in the E-Verify system, improved the timeliness of data collection and quality, 
And um, about a year ago, we measured results. We achieved 30% decrease in case status verification and employer time to enroll decreased by 46%. I'm emphasizing specific, uh, measurable business outcome. Um, for um, the um, Office of Personal Management, we're helping them with uh, USA Jobs, uh, improving access and security and enhancing customer service through data analytics, um, frankly, enabling a more efficient use of the data that's available to them, HR data, quantitative and qualitative um, uh, analytics. It improves transparency of the OPM recruitment and hiring process. Uh, Throughout the customer experience, this project is uh, midstream and still in process. We have developed um, a tremendous specialty, you know, given predictive analytics and machine learning, supporting um, a number of um, Office of Inspector Generals that I won't name specifically, but we're helping them deal with uh, fraud detection, waste and abuse, and, uh, you know, for the uh, FDA working on health and uh, safety, delivering um, mission-critical health and safety uh, data during national emergencies. When you look at the president's um, priorities and some of the areas where we've needed support, key areas that have been identified that really need some help, responding to natural disasters, um, ensuring food safety and medicine, managing the U.S. immigration system, helping find ways to strengthen the economy, uh, ensuring access to health care. So I emphasize here that these are not some discrete little projects. Everything that we do if it does not have a, a national outcome, uh, we probably will, will not be engaged. You, you also asked me the question about uh, kind of what's happening next. Yes, sir. So the, the nature of what we're doing continues to expand in, in both content and, and business outcome. Um, I can't mention the specific agencies at this point right now, but we are going to be working on national issues around privacy and disclosure. We will be working on global health issues with other agencies that have a global reach. A big area for this administration and the two organizations that we will be working with very shortly have to do with technology transfer. You know, the federal government um, makes an amazing amount of investments in open source and other capabilities. So these investments are made with taxpayer money. Ultimately, I think the government is looking for more effective ways to transfer that technology to the marketplace. So we will be working on um, more of these exciting projects. Um, and in the course, um, you know, continue to surface more and more opportunities as agencies begin to realize that, hey, uh, these guys really have a unique model here. A question I had for you was, uh, with the change in your mission to, in 2016, and now all the things you're doing under your leadership, how have you moved NTIS into the role of a trusted advisor in all that is data for the federal agencies? So um, trusted advisor, uh, that, that is really key. And I know as I, I, I was on the buy side as well as a Fed, and I was on the sell side. Uh, so when some agencies hear trusted advisor, it's like, okay, here we go again. Another, <laughs> another, another trusted advisor is coming in here. And then the explanation, well, we're this, we're that, we're truly neutral, we're vendor neutral. You know, the bottom line is um, there are lots of trusted advisors, but uh, I think we have been building trust because, first of all, we're working with feds to feds, um, and we're not asking uh, for us to, for you to trust us. Uh, we have built trust through delivering business outcome for a number of federal agencies. 
So we are getting what I would call kind of some repeat business, if you will. And we've been establishing, um, you know, a good reputation. And some of that trust actually happens at the very uh, onset of the project, which I will go through uh, later. But uh, trust begins, you know, without being too cliched, with the first handshake. Mm-hmm. It's really begin with that understanding of the client, of sitting with them, having that important conversation. Uh, that's really the beginning of the process. But after that, you have to deliver. How does NTIS deliver value to federal agencies? We will ask its director, Avi Bender, when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. The federal government can reduce costs while improving services by adopting private sector cost reduction strategies and technologies to achieve similar benefits in government. Check out the IBM Center special report, Transforming Government Through Technology, a companion piece to a more detailed report by the Technology CEO Council. That report outlines how technology-based reforms can reduce federal costs by more than a trillion dollars over the next decade. Driving change in the federal government requires more than new policies or the infusion of new technologies. It requires a sustained focus on implementation to achieve positive and significant results. This IBM Center special report provides a roadmap for government leaders to do just that. Download Transforming Government through technology and all IBM Center reports at businessofgovernment.org. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and my guest today is Avi Bender, Director of the National Technical Information Service, NTIS. So, Avi, how does uh, NTIS help agencies understand the data problems they have and helping them try to solve it? And is there any anything unique about your approach to doing that? So that question excites me because now, <laughs> now we're getting into the secret sauce. It took us a while to truly understand... And we continue to ask the question, what is the value they're actually providing? So here's the secret sauce. And it starts with something uh, that I think is very unique in Washington, D.C., and it's called a conversation. Um, and when you have the conversation. So, so here's, the, here's the way it works. Um, I and, and the staff meet with federal agencies that have uh, mission-critical uh, data priorities, and it may not be a data priority per se, but they may need to have achieve a business outcome that has a data priority behind that. And the very th- first thing we do as a trusted advisor is spend a little bit of time with them to understand, you know, what is the problem? What, what are you trying to solve? They may come back to us and say, well, listen, we, we, there's got to be a way to, to leverage AI, machine learning, blockchain, all these emerging technologies so we can do a much better business. And then we say, well, let's kind of pause for a second. Let's just get to what is it that you're trying to accomplish. Let's first discuss your uh, agency's strategy. What are the critical success factors that you have to achieve as a business to meet the strategy? What are the underlying business requirements to help get you to that? So please don't talk to us about functional and technical requirements. Let's understand what the problem is. And at that point in time, we and some of our experts from NTIS help create what I would call a three- to four-page problem statement. And that problem statement, uh, you know, and someone once said, a, um, 
a problem statement or well-defined is a problem half solved. And so the problem statement is, is almost like a work of art, if you will. To articulate a vision of what it is that you're trying to accomplish and under no circumstances in those three pages should you be prescriptive. Leave it open and leave it nebulous. Okay? Just focus on the outcome. At that point in time, we convene our 31 um, private sector partners. And these may include, of course, the for-profits and not-for-profits, the universities, uh, the typical professional services organizations that have signed up with us. And we have typically a three- to four-hour discussion with the federal agency, not about any proposed solution, but the discussion is about the validation of the problem statement. Now, that, I'm telling you, is a mind-blowing experience because the typical approach is a federal agency says, we have a problem. Um, let's put together an industry day. Uh, let's do an RFI. Uh, let's invite industry. Let's get some really great smarts. Uh, let's pull that information. Uh, we'll put together an RFP, and then we'll procure services. And maybe a year, a year and a half la- later, we may actually get what we asked for. Maybe not. That could be very expensive. So we spend a lot of time, and that's where the value proposition and that's where the trust is built to validate the problem statement. And it's only after that that we turn that into the equivalent of a statement of work. We call this an opportunity statement. And then we issue it to the partners um, and we say to them, you're the experts. You heard the solution, uh, the, the proposed um, you know, problem. Come back with a solution. And by the way, you've got three weeks. Um, and that's when we begin to get to this whole process um, of how we actually do this and, and the merit-based process of selecting a partner uh, to deliver the solution. Uh, so it's a combination of um, the conversation, mm-hmm. uh, fine-tuning the problem statement, having this broad-based conversation in a very transparent, open way, and ensuring that from the get-go, uh, we're solving the right problem. There are many other benefits of this approach, and I can spend a lot of time about this, but uh, the other benefit is that typically, uh, and I've I've been a Fed for many years, whenever you're doing uh, IT modernization, business transformation, uh, one of the most important things that you'll be hearing about is we need to socialize this. Mm. We need to really take this approach and socialize this with our stakeholders. that's, that's a real challenge because you get into cultural type issues. Yeah. But what if you included those same people that you need to socialize it with? What if they were included early in the conversation? So that's another part of the value proposition of what it is that we're doing. So how does um, NTIS address barriers to innovation such as risk, capacity to scale, and, and more time to market? The way we address this is built into our business model because the way we execute an agreement is, uh, it works like this. Mm -hmm. Uh, We, NTIS, have an interagency agreement with the agency. The partner or partners that we select work for us as subs. Um, The way the the, uh, arrangement is structured, that typically in every engagement, uh, we require a what I call a CONOPS, a concept of operations. 
followed by a proof of concept, followed by a prototype. Because this is not a contract, the agency at any point in time can basically say, we're not happy with what we're seeing, we're getting out of this. Or we'll try to work with them to resolve this. Everything is done in a very agile, iterative way uh, with very specific gates and milestones to see progress. The reason I mention uh, the concept of operations, because that's, I believe, is one of the biggest risk mitigation factors. The purpose of a conops is for an organization to envision a new way of doing business. And if you can't do that from the get-go, uh, then you probably don't know what it is that you're going, and anything that follows is going to fail. The concept of operation includes stakeholders, where they sit together and have this important conversation about what are we trying to do here. Um, so if we have the vision, then the next uh, phase that we have to reduce risk through this agile development method is to actually develop a prototype. And the prototype uh, doesn't solve the complete uh, desired outcome of a system or capability, but it takes an important slice mm -hmm. that demonstrates that, in fact, you're moving in the right direction. Um, and that allows the stakeholders, the agency, the partner and us to know, are we headed in the right direction? Are we addressing the risk? Great. Let's move on to the next step. So, you know, Avi, how do data insights drive supply chain innovation? All right. So, so supply, chain, uh, supply chain innovation, just to uh, maybe back up just sort of a little bit, um, you know, when you hear about supply chain, it's, it's, a, it's a term that uh, typically is used in the sort of commercial marketplace, uh, and there are various systems out there that are being sold for supply chain. So let me relate this to the federal government. I believe that every single agency, uh, whether they know it or not, have a supply chain. The outcome of a supply chain is to uh, deliver products and services to citizens, um, and with respect to data management across agencies, uh, these agencies are busy collecting data, they're processing the data, they're uh, analyzing and disseminating the data. And think about the underlying processes that have been built over time and the required application layer to support that, and then the required infrastructure to support that. And then the conversation gets off-tangent about, well, we need to become more efficient and move to the cloud. No, I, 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 actually, I actually believe that you need to become more efficient and figure out what business you're in before you move to the cloud. So the way you gain insights is that it's not enough to collect data in a warehouse, to uh, describe the processes. It's actually not enough to do diagnostics and nice data visualizations. You need to be able to take it to the next level and be able to predict an outcome and then to prescribe an outcome. And everything that I'm describing to you right now um, is not some, something that's far-fetched. Uh, we see it every day. This goes back to my comment about an internalizing internal um, you know, strategies. Uh, credit card companies. I sometimes go overseas. I make a, a charge, and then all of a sudden I get a call saying, uh, was this authorized? How do they know that? What are the pieces they put together to figure that out? Um, you know, at this time of year, we t usually have uh, major uh, weather activity uh, and hurricanes and, and, and storms. 
Uh, that's an example where the Department of Commerce and NOAA and the National Weather Service have to pull together lots of different data sets, not just to describe that it's going to be bad, but to be able to predict and prescribe actions um, of what it is that's going to happen. So uh, to the extent that we can get smarter about the data that drives our business, I think we'll be able to do a much better job in driving IT modernization um, and be able to develop new operating models, uh, do a better job of innovating, um, and ultimately uh, optimize our business processes. You know, uh, leveraging blockchain, AI, uh, predictive analytics technologies are uh, potentially transformative for federal agencies, and uh, it's sort of a maturation level. W would you elaborate on the innovation projects being pursued by NTIS um, using those data science capabilities? Right. So we actually have, um, I won't men mention the specific organizations because it's some of the work is, that, that is being done is experimental. But I would say that we're applying blockchain technology uh, today uh, for um, uh, fraud detection, waste and abuse. Uh, we're applying it to um, pilot uh, mobile platforms for mission critical um, uh, data for national emergency, uh, having to deal with uh, medical food when you have major floods, um, and deliver that information directly to the field. Um, we need to be able to provide direct to the public uh, accurate science-based information uh, addressing medical emergencies. Um, and, and that's where we're using uh, lots of advanced techniques in data science. Um, we're also working on human resources uh, to try and optimize um, workflow processes that are um, uh, really um, yeah, sort of legacy systems that, that truly need to be changed and to create a much uh, better trusted network and a trusted identity so that employer records um, don't have to be scattered throughout the place. So sometimes uh, blockchain technology um, can be applied there. Predictive analytics, machine learning, um, we're using throughout with uh, many organizations. So I would say these technologies do have a promise. Mm -hmm. uh, we are deploying them. I think they will be deployed. Robotics and machine learning, AI, will be deployed much more in the federal government in the, in the months and years to come. I would just caution agencies not to be too enamored with the technologies, but uh, first try to fundamentally understand the problem that you're trying to solve uh, before you make that leap. How does NTIS work with the private sector to develop new and improved data products and services? We will ask its director, Avi Bender, when our conversation continues on the Business of Government Hour. The federal government can reduce costs while improving services by adopting private sector cost reduction strategies and technologies to achieve similar benefits in government. Check out the IBM Center special report, Transforming Government Through Technology. It outlines how technology-based reforms can reduce federal costs by more than a trillion dollars over the next decade. Download Transforming Government Through Technology and all Center reports at businessofgovernment.org. Welcome back to the Business of Government Hour. I'm Michael Keegan, your host, and my guest today is Avi Bender, Director of the National Technical Information Service, NTIS. 
So, Avi, um, how are you collaborating and partnering with bureaus within commerce, and how does collaboration and partnership, in your mind, drive innovation? Within the Department of Commerce, the collaboration is essentially built in through the strategic plan. Um, if you go through the plan, uh, every uh, bureau has a role to play. Um, we have uh, a, a role to play under multiple areas and multiple goals. Uh, specifically, our area is one of innovation. So I continue to meet with all the different uh, bureaus within the Department of Commerce. And in fact, in the, in the coming uh, months, we'll be doing more work with, uh, with several of the bureaus. Um, that's commerce. But I also work um, routinely with uh, many federal agencies. Um, and frankly, uh, most of the opportunities that we have addressed in the past uh, 12 months have actually been with, with other federal agencies. Uh, remember now that commerce is what I would call a big data agency. Mm -hmm. Lots of skills, lots of resources, lots of data that's managed. They do have quite a few skills. But there are many other organizations, including statistical agencies, who may not have the wherewithal. So we typically target those organizations to make sure that we can work closely with them and collaborate. You know, how can uh, we do more uh, with government data? So the, the, the quick net-net of doing more with government data is the government data has to be much more accessible. It has to be much more usable. It has to be searchable. Um, and, it, and you have to find the data, first of all. And then you have to have metadata standards. So mm -hmm. I think we have to work on some very basic fundamentals on that. Um, uh, this is a strategic question that you're asking that actually is one of the president's management agenda initiatives. And I believe commerce, working with OMB and uh, the SBA um, and maybe some other organizations, are actually focused right now on asking these very questions. They have published some preliminary reports, mm -hmm. and they provide some really va valuable um, uh, guidelines as to what's needed. Having said that, um, as we speak, for the last several years and beyond, agencies continue to produce economic indicators. Uh, they can continue to produce national weather data. Um, so work is being done. But I think so much more can actually be accomplished. So how can federal agencies combine more data, leverage more emerging IT technologies, and develop more powerful analytical capabilities? So right now, um, agencies, I can see in my conversations with them, are uh, struggling in that arena. Uh, from a technical perspective, uh, you know, they are looking for different ways to publish the data, to maybe um, develop application programming interfaces so it's easier to consume the data by others. They're trying different things. Uh, but as I mentioned before, it's always this issue of capacity to scale. I don't have the resources. It's not just about my data. It's actually about the data with other agencies because the power of this data is when you connect it with data from other agencies. So I think, I really believe that in the coming years, and maybe even sooner than later, uh, there will be a strong recognition that you hear a lot about shared services. Maybe there's a requirement for shared services to create a government-wide enabling platform uh, to help agencies to leverage that so that they can do a much better job of uh, both uh, documenting, collecting, processing, analyzing data, disseminating data, 
And if they're able to get access to some capabilities like that, and we can make some broad-based investments, then these agencies will be able to uh, focus on their mission. They'll be able to look at their strategic plans. They'll be able to deliver business outcomes. And they'll be able to address the critical success factors that drive their agencies. And maybe, and I hope people don't get this the wrong way, but maybe get out of the what I would call the IT infrastructure business that really sucks a lot of resources and energy. Um, and the conversation needs to change. Um, you know, transitioning more to the future, Avi, um, would you give us a sense of some of the key trends and innovations within your area? So... Um, the first thing when you ask a question like that, <laughs> the, the, the first thing that people expect is, oh, uh, uh, talk to me about blockchain, AI, and all this. Yeah, I, I, can, I can rattle through all the buzzwords. Sure. And, uh, you know, five years ago, if we had this discussion, we were talking about moving to the cloud. But um, there is a silent uh, trend, and there's a silent innovation that needs to come to the forefront. And I believe that is innovative acquisition. People know trends. People understand emerging technologies. Agencies are saying, basically, help me get the work done. And there are instances where I believe um, uh, where the federal acquisition regulation, the FAR, is ideally suited. Uh, The the FAR is ideally suited when you as an agency, um, I believe, know specifically what it is that you're trying to accomplish You can do a great job specifying the services that you need. You can specify the products. You have written an exceptional RFP, and now you need to go out and compete. But sometimes you really can't contract innovation, right? You can't write a contract for innovation. Um, So you need to have other acquisition instruments in place. And I've seen the Office of Management and Budget and people that we work with there are really looking at alternative acquisition instruments. So you hear a lot about other transaction authorities. Uh, you, you hear about the, like the joint venture authority that we have to partner with the private sector. Uh, of course, you have grants. Um, you can do grant challenges. There, there are lots of ways uh, to mitigate risk, uh, do agile development, And so I think that one of the trends that I'm seeing is that agencies are beginning to explore multiple acquisition instruments that are suited for the specific business outcome and their risk profile, right? So I'm not going to tell you about all the future trends. I have some some, uh, visions about that. Let me just focus on the real stuff of how to get stuff done. You're shifting mindset almost. It's a shift in a mindset. I think it's a shift in a, in a mindset because um, uh, because in order to make a decision about which instrument to use, yeah. you have to have that important conversation up front. You know, that was great advice. And I, I want to ask you another follow-up on advice. Uh, what, what advice would you give someone who's thinking about a career in public service? Um, the first thing I would say, uh, go for it. Uh, I think public service, uh, the reason that I've stayed in public service, I mean, I spent half my time in the, in the commercial and now uh, in the public service. I didn't come to public service to make a lot of money. Uh, I've stayed in public service uh, because I found that to be extremely um, uh, gratifying. Uh, for me personally, uh, it provided incredible opportunities to address and help solve national problems 
through data and other mechanisms, and to truly have an impact. Um, so, so that's I think is really very important. And I've noticed many individuals coming out of school, uh, people in the presidential innovation uh, PIF program, and others. Um, they really have very nice characteristics of what you look for. People that are energized, that have a passion to really make a difference. So quick answer is go for it. Now, let me caveat that with um, my personal experience. Um, I, for me personally, it was very beneficial to begin my career in the private sector. Um, it helped me uh, learn what I enjoy doing and what I don't enjoy doing. Um, and it gave me a certain perspective. Um, I then went to the federal government and in the 1980s with the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, and I absolutely loved uh, the six years that I spent there because I was able to actually innovate and make a difference. Um, but then I, I went to the private sector again, and as I mentioned earlier in, the, in our talk, I went back to the government. I think that mix of private sector and um, and federal is really important because the private sector does help you hone your skill on on how to compete in a dynamic marketplace, um, how to apply consultative sales. And people th see sales as a kind of a negative connotation, but you need to be able to sell both in the private sector and in the in the federal government and do a much better job of communicating. I think you begin you begin to. Um, build some capabilities to become much more politically astute and how you manage relationships and how you sell to the top. Um, you begin to formulate a strategic vision of what it is that you're actually trying to accomplish. Um, and the private sector will help you really hone in your capability about focusing on, you know, on what's right and what's important and what's um, superfluous where you shouldn't be spending a lot of time. So I think it's it's really a mix of both. And um, for me personally, it's been a highlight of my career. Thank you for coming in today. It's good to see you again. Uh, but more importantly, I'd like to thank you for your dedicated service to the country. Thank you, Michael. It's been a pleasure uh, working with you and seeing you again. This has been the Business of Government Hour, a conversation with Avi Bender, Director of the National Technical Information Service, NTIS. Be sure to join me next week for another informative, insightful, an in-depth conversation on improving government and its effectiveness. For the Business of Government Hour, I'm Michael Keegan. Thanks for joining us. This has been the Business of Government Hour. Be sure to visit us on the web at businessofgovernment.org. There you can learn more about our programs and get a transcript of today's conversation. Until next week, it's businessofgovernment.org. What are U.S. General Services Administration's key strategic priorities? How is GSA making government more effective and efficient? What is GSA doing to promote smarter management, buying, and use of technology across the federal government? Join host Michael Keegan next week as he explores these questions and more with Emily Murphy, Administrator, U.S. General Services Administration. That's next week on the Business of Government Hour, the Business of Government Hour, Monday at 11 a.m. on the Federal News Network.